Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast all about comedy. You know, Mel Brooks said, tragedy is when I cut my finger and comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. But what does comedy mean to other comedians? In this podcast, I hope to find out. So I'm talking to the best and brightest in comedy to ask them to sum up what comedy means to them in a nutshell. I love talking to the people in comedy about comedy. And if you like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. I guess this episode is a former sketch comic performing with both the Cambridge Footlights and later with sketch trio Princes of Maine. Now he's a musical comedian who won the 2020 Musical Comedy Award belatedly in 2021. Comedian Alex McKeith. So first of all, tell me, how did you come into comedy? How did it become part of your life? Uh, So when I was growing up, we watched a lot of we watched a lot of sitcoms. Mm. Um, So like The Simpsons was massive, um, as I think it was for everyone. Scrubs was huge for me. Oh yeah. Um Malcolm in the Middle was big as well. Um and also some like more retro stuff. So my stepdad um is a big sitcom fan. So we watched like um I watched so much of Steptoe and Son, <laughs> which is which is really quite retro. And um I kind of got quite into like the mythology of that and um you know how it started out as a special like one of like eight specials commissioned by the BBC and it was meant to be mm. how it was like meant to be a drama. Yeah. Cause there was a BBC uh, kind of docudrama on it called the curse of Steptoe. Um, and it had like, I think it was Harry H Corbett who was meant to be like the British Marlon Brando. And he like <laughs> took this, he like took this job thinking like, yeah, it's a struggling, struggling young laborer under the, um, <laughs> under the thumb of his domineering father yeah. and the studio audience just thought it was a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so like going back and, and watching that with that knowledge was um really interesting. Mm. Uh, I mean, friends as well. Yeah. Massive. Um, so I think growing up, watched a lot of sitcoms, um, panel shows, uh, as well so like have i got news for you was a was a staple with um my dad mm-hmm. um and yeah from there like at school i remember my brother and i used to write we used to write sketches that um we thought were very funny <laughs> um but I had a lot of fun with that and was just kind of writing through my teens and then um started to do it at university as well so mm-hmm. started to do um mainly sketch comedy and not not stand up there yeah but there were loads of great student comics there who were massive influences um and then i did sketch comedy with a couple of my best mates after uni mm-hmm. um ben pope who you might have come across who's a great stand-up yeah and jamie fraser who's a director now mm-hmm. um but we did that for a while we were called princes of maine um <laughs> A little bit like the Velvet Underground. No one saw us, but everyone who did started a sketch group. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say, and one of us was a Nazi, but that's not true. Um, <laughs> Princess of Maine did Edinburgh. Yeah, we did. We did a few. We did three Edinburghs. We did it 2015, 16, and 17. Mm. Um, and we did uh, Pleasance, Underbelly, and Bedlam. Mm. And they were great fun. And I kind of ended up like... Um, I don't know, the, the stage persona I had was a kind of 
lascivious, um, entitled, at times quite grotesque figure. <laughs> and it just and it became like I um yeah, like, like went big. And I think Will Ferrell as well was like a big influence on like hmm. um how I was trying to perform around that time and just being like really big, really loud, really out there, um, enjoying improvising with those guys. Um but yeah, my um my my mental health kind of took a dive around 2017, 2018, and I and I stopped because I think part of it was like I uh I struggled to be that big on stage. And there's a thing of like if if you're going that big and that hard in a sketch hmm. and you're eating shit, <laughs> like it's a really hard, it's a really hard place to um to I guess come back from or just like drop out of the sketch and then be like semi-normal. Right. Yeah, so I stopped I stopped then um for a while. And while I was um kind of working through stuff, and I sp- I spoke about this in my show last year. Mm. Um I started doing I also got glandular fever because I was like so stressed out all the time, which um and you know, the the advice from the doctor was like, mate, I think you just need to like try and be less stressed out. Um <laughs> Which was good advice. Um, so I couldn't do any exercise and I started playing the guitar a lot more mm. and actually started getting passably good at it. <laughs> so that's how the musical comedy kind of started. But I didn't I didn't really go and perform. I just like wrote a lot of songs. Yeah. Um, and then around 2020, um, which was great timing. Yeah. <laughs> uh started started doing them live and then the pandemic happened and i just started i just wrote more and played i had more excuse to play my guitar yeah so that's kind of the journey into how i started doing musical comedy yeah um and yeah and the influences the influences there are um bill bailey's massive mm-hmm. flight of the concords yeah. bo burnham mm-hmm. um and then more recently like flo and joan uh i just think what they do with musical comedy is incredible yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of the hyper dry deadpan style is something that i don't do in my stuff but it's it's such a it's such an incredible like mutual persona that they have mm. and such a great way of kind of constructing a show yeah um oh and also huge davies more recently as well mm. um who has a kind of stage persona that like i just couldn't i couldn't muster <laughs> i don't think i have it in me to be that dry um so yeah, starting to do it more post the pandemic mm. has yeah meant that I've been able to be influenced by yeah loads more people recently yeah and to gig them has been awesome yeah. So moving from sketch comedy to musical comedy, obviously they've gone from a troop of people to being a solo. Mm. That transition, how did you feel about going out and doing a different style of comedy, a solo comedy, for the first time? At first, it was like. Um, it's pretty it's it's hugely different i mean mm. also i had the benefit of like ben and jamie being my best mates yeah so it was it was all it was always fun yeah. um even if like you know a gig a gig didn't go to plan mm. um but i think turning up on a mixed bill both as a sketch comedian and as a musical comedian it's not necessarily what an audience is expecting right um and you have like a clear visual referent for that because like suddenly you've got three three people on stage rather than one or you've got one person with a guitar and it's like ah, okay 
either side it could be interpreted as like a crutch um <laughs> i guess it was uh it was more on like your own terms mm. and i think I, I think i had like quite a clear idea of what i wanted the feel of the musical comedy to be because it still afforded me like the opportunity to create narratives like you can in a sketch or to have like the um you know the the super short pullback reveals right um but with the musical comedy i kind of wanted it underscored by music that was good enough or like well constructed enough that if you were doing a show or like a 10 minute set even if there were a song which like someone didn't find funny <laughs> they'd still be able to come away from it and be like well but i enjoyed the song like, <laughs> the the music was good so it was yeah i think it was like having a different baseline of what what i wanted people to come away with obviously like route one main intention make them laugh yeah but i think with the i think with the musical comedy it was like i wanted there to be sufficient craft and structure behind it that people felt in safe hands right um whether that's even through like a a plucking style at the beginning of a song to say like look there's enough investment that's gone into this song to show that like i back it you know <laughs> I feel that this dumbass concept has been worth, you know, working out like a finger picking pattern. <laughs> um, I think it was just like a different uh, agenda for what I wanted to do. Right. Um, I'd always wanted to do musical comedy and like bring more songs into the Princess of Maine stuff. <laughs> um, and Sheeps are a sketch group who just do that so well. Mm. Um, and and the songs that the songs that they have in their pieces are. Um, yeah, like mind-bendingly good. And in terms of like musical structure, yeah, they're so they're so great. They're like they're like musical numbers. Mm. Um, yeah, that transition from being part of a group and having like quite a fixed identity in the group, right, to make it like quite legible for an audience to like get into and be like, oh, he's that guy, he's that guy, right, he's that guy. And obviously, you've got like space for subversion in that. Mm. Um, but I felt with the with the musical comedy, it was like it would it would give me space to inhabit like different personas, right? Or like introduce different characters, or like a different mood or a different tone hmm. um, with each song. Yeah, and also it's 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 not as it's not as collaborative, which I missed quite a lot. Right, and like there was a kind of yeah, there's something organic to you know. Or like a really useful filtering process when you bring something to two people. Yeah. And you're like, what about this? And they're like, that nah. is <laughs> shit. <laughs> whereas whereas with with solo stuff, like you really don't have that. You have to inflict that upon a bunch of people and have them tell you that is dog shit. Yeah. But like, you know, they're not necessarily they're not necessarily gonna scream that unless you're really lucky. Um yeah, I think that's that was a that was a that was a big learning curve. Yeah. You said there uh, a little minute ago about having a guitar or having you know this collaboration as almost like a crutch. Mm, do you yeah. still do you feel like you're protected in a way by having a guitar or, or teammates, if you like, like a security blanket? Yeah, it's interesting. I think so. Musical comedy, obviously, like for a long time, has been people have like ascribed it to like hacks you know where it's like i'll do i'll do a pasty i'll do a pastiche of a song and change some of the change some of the words right. and um and it will rely on that recognition factor mm. 
people to be able to say like, oh, I feel in I feel in safe hands here. And I guess there's a suspicion that there's not as much um craft behind it. Mm. Um as like as like a separate I think sketch is different from stand-up. So I don't I don't so much think that's that's a crutch. If you're if your best way of making people laugh is by creating sketches and in collaboration, mm. I think that's completely valid. For me, I think it's probably a similar thing that I think I think the funniest I can be is via songs, is via musical comedy. Cause I just think there's something in that concept of like writing, trying to write beautiful music, hmm. not necessarily beautiful music, but like <laughs> trying trying to craft like a great song about something that is fucking banal, right? Or just like incre- incredibly stupid or super dark, which you can play in a in an incredibly light, breezy way. Hmm. I think for me, like working within that structure and working with the music is like. Uh, it's a liberating um yeah construct hmm. um i was i was talking to a couple of comedians the other day on a mixed bill and i think what what musical comedians like can rely on and can draw on is like a sing along and i hmm. and i get that like that is a different energy to bring which pure stand up like doesn't necessarily have the ability or the yeah or the structural resources like to bring out of an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like closing a section of a show before an interval. Yes. Um, I was talking to uh, the the compare and the, and the guy who runs the gig. And it's like, you've got to, they were talking about like choosing where you put a musical comedian yeah. because it is a different energy to bring into the room. Yeah. And it can be, it can be tough to go out, after it because there is that crutch element right there is mm. that like you're using music to engage the crowd and it ch- it changes the dynamic of the room yeah um and that being said like when i see when i see stand-ups out there with just a mic yeah. for me it's it's either a character or it's a or it's a song i think i i can't do that straight stand-up thing i've tried it's fine <laughs> but it's i don't feel as comfortable and i think an audience the audiences that I play to don't feel as comfortable. Um, but I think also crutch would imply that like with either of those things, you're trying to get to the same discipline as like, hmm. you know, quotation marks, like straight stand up, hmm. which I think is not what I'm trying to do. Like there's the same intention yeah, to make the audience laugh. Right. Hmm. But I, I would not say that I'm using, I'm using music to it to imitate that art form of straight stand-up yeah it's it's musical comedy and i do i do see them as different things even though like we share a bill and the more i've the more i've gigged the more respect i have for the acts who go out there and it's just them and a mic and it's mm. their craft mm. and when it's just when it's just those two things fucking out it's incredible <laughs> <laughs> you know it's such it's such an art form it's yeah. such a skill um so yeah i hope that i hope that answers the question of whether it's a crutch but i had i hadn't actually thought of it like that before because because mm. the crutch label does imply like ah oh, you're trying you're trying to do what i'm doing and i think i'd be the first to say like no 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 i i don't think i could do that right what i can do is this mm. uh, and yeah it's more enjoyable for me and i think it's probably therefore more enjoyable to an audience 
Well, years ago when I was, this is out there, I've been interviewed about this. I was in a band, a comedic band. And for me, it was very much unprotected because I, I'm not only protected by being in a group with other people. Yeah. And also I had a guitar that I was could hide behind. So there's like, I'm protected on all sides. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I know the security in having other things around you or in front of you. Yeah. Well, that's what it meant to me. And then when I tried, I tried to do stand. This is thirty years ago. This is like forever ago. Um, when I tried to do stand up, I was like, going, "Yeah, I'm feeling really vulnerable now." <laughs> <laughs> really, really afraid. Yeah, I feel really, really afraid. See, I see even putting myself into that into that mindset, mm. I feel so nervous. I can't even say afraid. Like, <laughs> the, the child in me says, "I feel really, really afraid." <laughs> um, yeah, I def I definitely get that, but mm. it's yeah, it's both a it's both a protection, but also like it's a yeah, it's it's a tool. It's another it's 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 a means to that end for me. Of like, I think it's definitely influenced by like what I did with sketch comedy and like trying to create an atmosphere and trying to create a world. Um, mm. Yeah, it it give it gives me more freedom. I think to be able to like inhabit a persona that is like that is out there yeah even though like the older i get and the more i do it it's like oh, i don't think audiences want to see a fully grown man um going like really big and out there unless <laughs> it's will ferrell or unless it's in like quite a quite like a codified environment like oh we feel safe here hmm. the thing the thing that i found most enjoyable about most enjoyable about using the guitar is like that kind of change of pace or that change of tone or even the change of volume right. i can draw an audience in now or create this more intimate world yeah i guess there's probably a negative way of looking at it which would be like i need this for protection or a more positive way of looking at it which is like this thing makes me feel or this thing enables me to connect with an audience more strongly than i otherwise would be able to do hmm. which i think is how i feel about it yeah also, there's something quite fun about like fucking up. <laughs> it's it's always a high wire act, and and you see this with you know people who are up there with them and a mic. It's like, mm. man, that's exposed. And like the electricity of when it's of when it's right, like you feel that and you feel like that that connection. Mm. Um, and the high wire act, I guess, with the you know with doing it with music is like you hit a wrong note or you hit a wrong chord. It can it can flip both ways, right? Because if you can like draw an audience into your confidence by saying like, Hey, I can, I can play this lick. And like, there's, there's like a base level of competence there that you can get people to buy into, which I think lots of comedians, comedians who I've spoken to <laughs> said like, mate, that's a cheat. Like, and it is, it is, it's a hack, but if it goes wrong mm. and like, you've got like a, you know, a six note lick that you're playing and you fuck up two out of six notes, an audience is like, you're a dick. And, <laughs> You've used this crutch and you can't even use the crutch correctly. <laughs> Why would we trust you? So yeah, there's still there's still risk involved. It's not I I wouldn't say it's like a, a fail-safe mm. protection, you know? Yeah. We've talked about you doing a character comedy, and a moment ago you said about doing either character or musical comedy. And then you used the phrase um inhabiting a persona. So are you playing a character when you're performing musical comedy as well? Are you inhabiting the performer Alex McKeith on stage? Is that the real you or is that a, a character you become? Oh, this is like the Bowie, the Bowie question. <laughs> it's like yes. um it's in the um in the sleeve lining 
for an early album <laughs> where it's like the artist the artist is portrayed by David Bowie. So he's just like completely refusing <laughs> to own it. Um, I think for the show last year, oh. it changes. Like in a full show, there's definitely more of me. Right. Um, and one thing that was like leveled in some early reviews when I gave like between songs, like I gave quite a lot of myself. But then within songs, it would be like, no, 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 this is like, there's like pure fiction in here. Right. Um, and I think there was like a discontinuity there, which I think jarred for some reviewers. Um, mm. So that was that was quite a useful process for like working out, okay, if this is, if this is going to be a version of me, there has to be like a baseline of truth running all the way through. Um which I didn't sustain because there were some some songs which were like, this really happened to me. Mm. And it didn't. It didn't <laughs> happen to me. But then I would carry on talking and give elements to myself. And I think it was it, it just wasn't stable ground for an audience to be like, oh, this is this is all, you know, anecdotal true life stuff. Um but the the persona that that was in that show is kind of different from the persona that I do in that I have in sets, which is I guess it just has to be more assertive. Mm. There's an element of like being in the room. And if it's, if it's a rowdier crowd, there's got to be a way of like shutting them down. Yeah. You know, shutting down elements who are, who are looking to, you know, you get a group and it's like a group has come and there's the funny guy in the group. Mm. And it's this weird triangulation where like, even though you've got someone paid on stage to make everyone laugh, yeah. there's a bloke that who's like, yeah, I'm going to make my mates laugh. They're here to have me be the funny one, mm. being more funny than the funny one on stage. And it's like when when you seek to address that, there's a facet of the persona which, in me, it's like right, seek them out, <laughs> put them down, and then move on. Um, so that version of me is probably more, um, I wouldn't say aggressive, but like more assertive. Mm. Um, yeah, there's probably like there's probably an archness and an irony that I bring in that is not that's not really um who i am mm. so i think it's i am i am playing a role i'm definitely not fully me on stage right but in terms in terms of the way that like i would conduct myself that is very much not not me <laughs> um and i think within the songs as well mm. um it's it's space to articulate things that like i would think and then probably say you know the policeman in my brain would say like don't think that um <laughs> But then you put it to music and you put it in a song. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, actually there's the, the com the common the common ground that you can find is like when when you do articulate those things that are the unsayables, mm. you know, when you hit that sweet spot, you get a common feeling in the audience and and the recognition factor is articulated through laughter. Mm. And you're like, oh fuck, yeah, everyone's thought this. Well, not everyone, <laughs> but loads, loads of people in this room have thought this. Or there are loads of people in the room who are thinking like, I've never thought that. And that's a really good thing because this is what it looks like. Yeah. And if I were to entertain those thoughts, I'd end up as that guy. <laughs> I stand by some of the things that I say mm. in the songs, but lots of them, it's like, no, 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 this is within an artificial construct mm. of being in dialogue with an audience, even, you know, even through the ideas that are being shared. And it's like, you get that recognition factor or that outrage factor yeah. and you can run with it. And because it is a persona that I'm inhabiting, hmm. I can run with it much further than I would in real life, unless you're at like a party and you're bored 
<laughs> and you're just like really, really like looking to push people's buttons. <laughs> Not push people's buttons. But just like see see if anyone else at the party is like on a level with you. Right. And I guess that's kind of a useful analogy to be like, okay, cool. So with this song, like you can push, you can push that boat out and see see who's going to come with you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he's that guy on stage isn't isn't me but i would st- i'd stand by like the construct right. of him if you know what i mean yeah uh, i wouldn't disown i wouldn't disown him entirely <laughs> because like you're there you're there with an intention yes you know it's it's like a theatrical contract that you have with the audience it's like okay cool so license is going to be taken here mm. you know the license is going to be taken here we know that there's a dynamic between us which means that i'm here to make you laugh mm-hmm. um there was James Graham, the playwright, um, in a program note, I think it may have been for his play Inc. He was like, this is based on true events, but like no one should get their politics from a playwright. (laughs) And in the same way, I don't think that people go to a comedy show for like moral, moral lessons. Um, You know, they, they go to get those, well, they go to laugh, but like it is, it is a, it's a space for play to push the boundaries of those kind of commonly held ethical standards that we yeah. have. It's like, this is a space where we can push these. Yes. It's not like suggesting that you have license to go out and behave in a completely socially unacceptable way. <laughs> but in this, in the contract that we've set up between us, this is a space to to explore those and to have someone who can articulate that and then leave it and put it away. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, stand at the bar and say, hello, how are you? And then say like, Oh, you do you fucking hate old people? And I'm like, not, not, <laughs> no, not really. Um, but there are elements, you know. I've had those, I've had those thoughts and those resentments, you know, are given are given rise to in like a bit of my set. But like, yeah. I don't walk around with like seething hatred of <laughs> the old. You know, sometimes I guess it can be um, slightly odd because the the gigs. Yeah, the gigs that I do, like you are often in the bar afterwards mm. and you're like chatting to people who've just seen it. Um, and you kind of get that like misattribution of like, hey, you are the persona. Yeah. Like you, you are you are the things that you've just said. And I'm like, no, 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> say that. But it's quite nice when you have like a, a people when people appreciate the kind of um the construct. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a song I do called "Keeping My Seat," which you know becomes like kind of rallying cry against offering up your seat to old people on the tube, which I think is a good thing to do. But <laughs> you can talk about the general or the generational resentments that have been fostered by unfettered capitalism. Um, you know, it 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 becomes a launchpad to a very different song. Mm. But the nice thing about it is that, like in Edinburgh. Well, in Edinburgh, like, I had someone take it like so seriously, and she came up to me. And she was like, "Look, I really want to apologise on behalf of my generation. Um, we really have taken so much from you, and I feel so bad about it." And I was like, "This is not. This is not against individuals. This is like a structural concern that I'm talking about." But also, like an old bloke came up to me, and he was like, "I love that. I hate people offering me their seat on the train." Um. So yeah, I, and I guess it then becomes like you know a question of interpretation and people are, and people are free to interpret that as they want. But yeah. um, for me, for me, it is like, it's a constructed persona that exists in that environment. Right. And a guy who occasionally like pops up when I'm writing the songs and it's like, okay, cool. This would, this could work mm. when I'm inhabiting 
that space. Yeah. Yeah, it's my name. Um, <laughs> and it is me. But um, it's just shit I wouldn't say in polite conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, starting as a musical solo just before the lockdown experience and then that you gave you time alone with your guitar, so to speak. Yeah. Did you manage to pick up gigs between lockdowns? Did you flirt with online? Uh, no, I didn't do... I hadn't been going for long enough right. to do um, to do um, online stuff or or to be um, booked for any of those. But between the lockdowns, I did a couple of um, I did a couple of gigs with Country Mile mm. Comedy Club, yeah. and they run like a, a mix bill at the Star of Kings, and they um, ended up like producing the show that I did at the Fringe last year. Yeah, um, yeah, they're amazing, and they were just so supportive you know, the whole way mm-hmm. I discussed like my intention because I was thinking about like taking a show up in 2020, mm. which for obvious reasons didn't happen. But I think because I'd spoken to them about that and that intention, you know, I had a couple of like short slots on their nights um, mm. and those were really useful, but it was, man, it was like a change of pace to be going from like performing it in like, you know, yeah. your living room and being like, just, just get, just get the lines down. To being like, oh shit, that's a lot of people. There's a <laughs> pandemic, and I guess one thing that yeah, one thing that you got in those um in those online gigs is that like obviously unless people like didn't have their cameras on, but like you could see people's faces, and you mm-hmm. could you know see the laughs even if you couldn't hear them. <laughs> Whereas it was different when you got back to live and everyone was masked up when you could hear the laughs, yeah. but you couldn't see them. It's kind of strange inversion. It's like neither one was complete, you know. Mm. It was neither one was the whole experience. Yeah. But I remember at those at those gigs between pandemics, it was like I can't remember if it was like people still wearing masks or it was or if it was like in one of those periods where you were allowed to be in a space so long as there was social distancing um mm. and a mask wasn't obligatory. But people were being encouraged, like, if you laugh, don't laugh too far out <laughs> or don't don't laugh with gusto that's such a boomer <laughs> word uh don't don't laugh with like massive energy because like if you laugh too hard you know these the water droplets will come out of your mouth at, at too much velocity yeah. i don't really understand how <laughs> i mean like it would have been okay if like every single act had gone up and bombed but it was a good lineup so like you had people and it was like this weird kind of it became like a bark. It was like you couldn't, you you really couldn't like let rip with your laughs. You yeah. had to be like, ah, and then <laughs> and then draw it back in, or there was like a gasp that you had to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't do I didn't do the online online spots. Yeah. Um, I saw <laughs> I saw a lot of discussion about it and mm. how they were how they were tough. <laughs> um <laughs> but also i've seen like joe wilkinson at nocta bag not too long ago did um like zoomed in zoomed in for his um mm. and i guess what it what it did do is like i don't know it gave comics like another angle to like work things through um yeah and i think that that dynamic of like playing playing with the mechanics of it like obviously it's different because yeah. i was watching like in a room full mm. of full of people and post all the restrictions watching this kind of pandemic version of stand-up yeah which worked so well 
but I don't know if I don't know if he'd have he'd have done a set like that without the pandemic or without the experience of you know having done those Zoom gigs. Um, right. So I guess it, I guess it did give like more of a space for innovation um, and more opportunity for like you know to increase access to this stuff out, outside of the comedy community. So I know that Next Up Comedy did loads of stuff. Mm. Um, you know, recording gigs that were still under the restrictions and, yeah. and trying to increase access to those for people who were understandably, you know, either immunocompromised or, um, you know, when Manchester was locked down and, and London was was not having, like, distribution to them as well. Yeah. Um. So I think, like, exploring those different, I guess, like, dynamics of performance and distribution, like, you, st- you still see the effects. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem like it compares or i think there's a reason that people have been going back and that there's such a yeah there's such a drive Mm. you know to keep it going and like Mm. to have it to have it bounce back when it looked especially with like the lack of the lack of support and the lack of recognition for it as an industry um that like a lot of a lot of venues would die Mm. um and it's and it was just really incredibly lucky for me to have come out of that pandemic with a bunch of songs, having done a couple of gigs like between the lockdowns and want to, and want to hit the ground running. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, seeing angel comedy, like packed out, like even immediately after the pandemic, like mm. the desire and the audience was still, was still there. And it was like, yeah, they were raring to get back on it. It was awesome yeah. to be part of that, like movement and resurgence. Yeah. But I'm kind of glad that I missed out on the zoom gigs. <laughs> got to say let's talk about competitions so the 20 i mean technically 2020 musical comedy award technically yeah <laughs> technically uh the 2021 how does it feel to you know you go from doing a load of comedy to doing no comedy mm. to doing a new style of comedy and then you get that kind of affirmation um how do you feel about competitions in general how do you feel when you won an award I I mean that presumably was like the longest the longest competition of all time because <laughs> I got yeah it was like really early 2020 I think it was the heats and it was meant to be in July that year and the guys who run it Tamara Cowan and Ed Chapel who run it so well were they were really committed like the whole time they were like their their comments were great yeah. and they were um they were really clear they were like, we want to make this happen. And they like continually like tried tried to book um a venue working with the changing restrictions. Yeah. Um and gave assurances to like all the finalists. They were like, this is gonna happen. We promise. Like, and we're mm. gonna do, we're gonna do what we can. And it was such a time of instability and insecurity that having that running through or having that like anticipation to know that like 2021 like that there is going to be a final for this thing like there there will be an opportunity for you all to bring this to fruition yeah um i think they did such a great job of sustaining that and it was um it was a great final i loved it it was it was still like with the social restrictions Mm. um and the audience was very spaced out and you you had the kind of bubble paradigm still in operation so you had like clumps of clumps of fours and clumps of twos um mm. but just like just eyes ever on mars yeah um and it was it was in the bloomsbury theater which is a massive space yeah again like that that like disjunct of being like in a room to jesus christ this is a huge space mm. um and i and like my my crowd work at the beginning was 
I kind of had a set routine for the crowd work, which I think was to try and get someone in the front row to alert me when my time was running out from a timer on his phone. And it didn't really work. And I was like, oh, I've completely fucked this. Like, you know, biggest gig since coming back. I've absolutely screwed. I've just shot myself in the knees immediately. And I think now, you know, when I come onto a mixed bill, I mean, obviously that was different because it was a competition and like there's a degree of like respect and support and you're not going to get hecklers. Yeah. You know, at a competition set. Um, now I think my my default is to come in and like respond to the room and show and show that it's live. You know, that it's I think especially with musical comedy, like there can be a temptation. Hmm. Understandably for like audiences to think you're just gonna come in and like play your songs and get off. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like it's because it is musical comedy, it's it's more important or I see it as really important to show just like with with dialogue and with engagement, like, no, 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 I'm here, I'm in the room. Like this isn't this isn't <laughs> just gonna be like a routine. Like I am I am here and I have been watching and you know, I know who's trying to fuck around, or I know I know who's mm. trying to heckle. Yeah. Um. And then I kind of did. I did a couple of songs which I which I'd been like practicing, so, like too like too hard. Mm. Like and it and it was that thing of like it was it was almost too. I felt like it was too rehearsed. Um. And I enjoyed I enjoyed the set. It gone up from five minutes to seven minutes, mm. which is like there are no seven minutes sets like it's either five or it's ten and like yeah. seven minutes i was just like i'm gonna have to try and like ram two two songs together so i think mm. i played it at an insane pace um <laughs> and i i was i was losing words the audience must have been losing words but it would it was um i think it clearly went well enough but the standard of the competition like the whole time have been like really strong and it was really cool to see like just how many people are doing musical comedy and doing it well hmm. and i think quip shed you know put on like a, a specially like curated musical comedy night because there is there's such variety in what people are doing hmm. um and i think that competition is really cool for like for showcasing that hmm. um so yeah it felt it felt great um to quote David Byrne and St. Vincent, it's good to lose and it's good to win sometimes. And that was a time, you know, that was the time where I won. And it was um it was really nice and it was really affirming. But what it did was like there was an element of, you know, legitimacy mm. that it gave to be like, cool, sending emails out for gigs. It's like yeah. there's this that kind of legitimizing, I think, happens when when you're a finalist for competitions. Um and that was really useful because it you know, I think it, it it meant that there was a second look mm. on emails. Yeah. Um, and it was recorded, which was also really useful. And just to give people a sense of like, this is this is the kind of thing that you'll be getting. Mm. Um, and I guess it just it spurred me on. It was like, no, 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 I I I wanted I wanted to win this and now I want to gig more. And it enabled me to do that and to build up to the fringe last year with, you know, that behind me was yeah, it was really fortunate. Um, and I think competitions in general are good. Sounds like such a fucking bland thing to say or glib. Um, <laughs> cause I've entered competitions, you know, with, with the same set and like not got very far at all because like any gig, it's like the chemistry in the room mm. or how you're feeling or like your dynamic. The nature of it is when you're starting out, mm. it's still contingent on energy in the room your engagement with a crowd, which early doors 
won't be as secure. Hmm. So I think the focus then becomes on like the tightness of the material, but the tightness of the material is contingent on like your, your comfort on stage and your ability to engage that room. Yeah. Which like you, you'll have pockets of people who are there to support other acts on the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it comes, it comes back to the material. If you've got material that can like cut through, you know, that kind of like embedded competition element, yeah. um, then it will, it will show. I mean, every competition that I've done, I've definitely got something out of. Um, I think like we, we entered a couple with the sketch group Princes of Maine. And, um, I think my competitive part of me was, was so almost like domineering <laughs> over like my attitude to comedy that like, it was really hard to enjoy it. Um, mm. but even once I've entered solo and like not getting very far, mm. it's been nice to have people in the audience come up and say like, I got that. Or like, I was really into that and I, and I'm going to come to your next gig. So yeah. there's always something there to find and a gig, every gig is useful um and also there's there's a reason why you see people who who win those who win those competitions like the two north down new act competition like mm-hmm. go on and produce great shows like there is a reason and and people who are entering those competitions i think it's a really good barometer or a really good showcase or a great way to expose yourself right yeah yeah um notwithstanding the idea that like competition is kind of murderous <laughs> you know? And like, there's the thing, the thing that I've loved most about gigging when you're on a mixed build is the collaborative element of it. It's like yeah. the night is curated by the promoter, mm. but when you're on a mixed bill set with someone, it's like each person, you know, from the MC first act, second act is sustaining an energy in that room yeah. that they can change or that they can, you know, that they can like harness or shift to best suit their act. But it's like, you are like, you're passing that audience on to someone else. Yeah. Whereas in a competition, it's like, I need to be better than the next person or better than the last person Mm. and make this audience laugh more than them or impress the judges more than them, which I completely get because it's like a threshold that you get to, to kind of get to those. It's an avenue to those mixed bill nights where it's more communitarian and like you can share, um, like you're sharing a crowd and you're sharing a space yes. and there's something non-competitive about that, mm. which I love. But then again, like the acts who are doing it, like ev- everyone knows the deal and like you can go on and you can often like talking to the acts afterwards. It's like really loved your set, really loved your set. I mean, occasionally you will get like people who are like super competitive and are like, you know, ask you the loaded questions of like, <laughs> how many gigs have you done? Or like, you know, how many competitions have you entered? Or is that, is that your competition set? Mm. And I guess for me, it's just, it's way more interesting to be like, love that angle. When's your next, when's your next gig? You know, um, or how did you come up with that? You know, it's like sharing a space in a non-competitive environment is better for acts, you know? Mm. But the people who win those competitions, like the two North Down yeah. New Act competition, for instance, like has produced some amazing I mean, it hasn't produced the artists themselves, but like <laughs> the artists who do that are incredibly strong and they go on to produce great shows. So I think mm. it's um it's not an unalloyed good, but I think in general, anything that can increase exposure for new artists or like the musical comedy was like, it is, yeah, kind of a, a subculture of the wider culture. Like it's a good thing. 
Yeah. But yeah, for for me, I think there was, you know, early doors especially, it was like it, it kind of tapped into a competitive element in me, which is um mm-hmm. which is just not great for the for the spirit of like performing or like it's so clearly not the point of comedy, especially like when you're sharing it mm. with someone. And that invitation to comparison, Stuart Lee puts it really well where he's like, I think it was uh, in how I escaped my certain fate. It's um, yeah, he's talking about professional jealousy, and he he writes that it, it's kind of invalid as a concept because he looks at the people whose work he admires, and he knows that he couldn't write that. Hmm. He knows that he couldn't do that stuff. So the idea of comparing himself to people whose work he could not perform, hmm. whose work he couldn't write, let alone perform, is yeah. it's a waste of time and it's a waste of energy. Um, and I found that really influential because mm. like even seeing other musical comedians on stage, you know, guys with glasses and a guitar, it's like, oh yeah, but I'm not, I didn't live that life. I haven't had his experience. Yeah. How could I, how could I have written that stuff? Um, so that's been quite liberating. Yeah. You talked a little bit about um, the structure being liberating, about having the, those those boundaries of being within the structure of the song, for example. How much room do you leave for improvising in your set? Uh, <laughs> uh, quite well between 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 songs, like there's there's space, yeah, and like you can you can improvise the setup to a song to kind of address um, to address what's happening in the room. Yes. which is really useful is just like before before you go on to what often like can be interpreted as like quite a quite a set track of a song mm. that's not an intentional pun <laughs> um before you get onto that like being able to improvise around what's happening in the room before you jump into a song is really useful so there's i leave space for that yeah. um there are some some songs where like this the setup has to be quite precise and you can't really improvise around that um there's a there's a song about drinking from the River Thames, which which becomes a call and response yeah. um, thing, which does give room for improvisation. And actually, like improvising around that song got me to a point where it was like more more fixed in place. But like, I will still be able to, I'll still be able to like improvise around that. Mm. Um, there's also a bit in another song of like direct like audience engagement with one person. And often you will get people in the front row just like deliberately looking away and not meeting your eye. So it can be quite fun to engage with that. Mm. Just like, look at me, <laughs> don't look away. <laughs> um, which which brings a different energy in. And also if you're isolating like one figure in a room, mm. to be able to to be able to address that in a kind of improvised way can bring everyone else in because like they recognize the they recognize the conceit and recognize the dynamic and also probably appreciate that there's some improvisation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the main bits of improvisation come up when I um, mess up a note or something. It's like, you've got, you've got to address that because if you don't address that, it's like, okay, well they know, and I know <laughs> I have ears. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's some room for improvising. Mm. Um, and sometimes in like breakdowns, breakdowns of songs where you like let the structure fall away mm. um and and direct audience engagement that will always be different so that there's always a degree of improvisation there yeah but in most of the songs like they're pretty fixed on rails yeah so what so far have been your best and worst experiences in comedy worst experience would be a gig that i did in oh my god where is it uh 
come out on the overground, <laughs> Canada Water, New Cross Gate. Uh, anyway, it's somewhere. It's somewhere around Forest Hill, not as far out as Sydenham. Anyway, the the venue itself doesn't matter. It's like a massive <laughs> pub. There was like a comedy night that had clearly been put on against the manager's will and the clientele's will. <laughs> You had like it was just like a night. It was just like a Thursday night, and then you had like thirty seats laid out. Mm. You had about six people sitting in them, and it was, I think it was an open mic, and there was like tension brewing because there was a gig there, but also there was tension brewing between the people who were boozing there. Right. So I was like, okay, cool. So got on stage, started playing, and then a dog made it on stage. <laughs> started pissing against the banister and i was like okay cool so i'm gonna i'm gonna but it was out of sight of a lot of people so i was like and so and so now a dog is pissing on stage but people but people couldn't see the dog so they were like they thought it was like some metaphor for like how the gig was going and it wasn't an inaccurate metaphor <laughs> which when someone grabs the dog and in grabbing the dog they bump into someone else and a and a proper punch up breaks out while i'm like on stage singing about i think having a ghost as a girlfriend (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna stop this song (laughs) now and leave the stage to give room to give room for this fight and um (laughs) so that's probably the worst experience um i think best experience would have to be um i've had so i've had so many good gigs here but like knocked a bag is just regularly just such an awesome gig. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, I think my first set, my first 10 minutes there, because um, I think I've done five before, but it was the first the first 10 I did um, to a full room at the Moth Club. Mm. Um, it was sometime after the Musical Comedy Awards, but like having that space uh, to perform there and actually like performing to a different audience that I performed to before mm. and it just um yeah that felt great uh so I think that would be my that would be my favorite mm. my favorite gig just just because it was like it was my first 10 there and that feeling of like you'll you'll know it and you'll you'll have seen it. it's like just when when everything sings mm. and you're like yeah man this is um that's going to be tough to top so yeah mm. love that and also the the green room back there is like it's kind of what I was talking about in terms of like no element of competition it's like yeah. so supportive um there's such a like feeling of mutuality in that shared space mm-hmm. um yeah and that felt and that felt really great so i think i probably i probably put that up there mm. i think that was late 2021 yeah yeah so what so far then have been the most important lessons that you've learned what philosophy do you carry with you going forward um it would probably be that that ditching competition mm. um kind of realizing that we're having more of appreciation that everyone is coming to this necessarily from different spaces mm. and the craft that people bring to it is it's a it's a shared craft with a shared intention mm. um but the means are just are so different and so wildly varied mm. that to compare oneself to to anyone on a bill especially when like you're sharing an audience and you have that like kind of um almost like curational duty to like keep that energy going and to like to share the space and to to bring what you have to offer but like you know to pass it on to the MC who passes it on to the next person mm-hmm. i think yeah that lesson of like a community isn't built by comparison 
and I think the thing that I've that I've really found in comedy and in gigging more is like this is a community, mm. and there are so many people that I admire who you know I I get to share bills with, but it's like I don't do their stuff, <laughs> you know I couldn't, and it's and that's been that's been so liberating. Mm. Um, so that'd be a big that would be a big lesson. Yeah, um, always bring a different top to change into. <laughs> <laughs> fuck me i i think it was like after the glandular fever like i, I genuinely just like stopped being able to like regulate my sweat <laughs> so it's like i will do a set and like depending on what that set is like you know if i end up going like hard i'm gonna be like drenched afterwards and it's gonna be deeply unpleasant to sit on a train back um so yeah always always bring always bring a change of clothes a different top mm. um I think those. I think those are my two. I don't know if I'm going to come up with anything more profound. <laughs> uh, I I'm. I think I'm still learning. I mean, I know I'm still learning and still, um, still ready to take advice. I think that's yeah. That's the other thing. Like, take taking advice is a good one because, like, on those bills, like, there's there's always going to be someone who's done more gigs mm. than you. There's always going to be someone who's played this gig before, and like just talking to them and listening to them and um getting their insight yeah mm-hmm. obviously if it's like unsolicited advice <laughs> take that with a pinch of salt but like yeah people are so willing to like answer questions about the gig people are always so willing to like because everyone's watching each other's set most of the time anyway yeah it's like if you ask for a read on something it's like someone's going to have something that's going to make like a gag or that's going to make a bit better just by talking about it mm. so i think yeah taking advice either either stuff that like you're actively seeking for or stuff that just kind of comes out of osmosis, you know, just by like being there. You've talked about um, community there and about advice. Do you find that within the comedy circuit, it is more, there is more of a community because as you said, you know, you're you're all very different. You're all trying to achieve the same thing, but all differently, you know, Mm. it's less competitive and more supportive as a, as a, a work environment. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there is a community. I mean, the, the place where you see it, the place where maybe you see it more organically is like at gigs. Mm. But it has like it articulates itself in like the podcasts that people are on, mm. you know? Like this is this podcast is part of that community. Um and you know, I remember I remember doing a gig with Tessa Coates mm-hmm. um way back when I was doing when I was doing sketch comedy before she started up her podcast and it was like you know, I just, I remember that being like something that was just organically generated. Mm. And, you know, you, you see the community of comedians, like engaging, engaging with that comedy and like sharing platforms. Um, and, you know, I think even in the discussion about like the awards of the fringe, you know, mm. it's like, you see, you see it on Twitter, like Jos Norris, you know, had an amazing um, Twitter thread last year before going up where he was like, you know, the focus has to be on your own show. The focus has to be, you know, setting your own parameters for success mm. uh, and looking after yourself. So I do think it's a, I do think it's a community. Mm. Um, it's definitely not a monolith though. It's not to speak for, you know, everyone who's part of that community, because I, I'm sure there are, there are some comedians with, you know, whose agenda like is within that community, but it is more focused on other things. Mm. But I think, the thing that I found is, um, yeah, there is a community and people are mutually supportive. And yeah, it's great to be a part of it. Mm. 
and especially like when you're when you're up there and you're on your own you know yeah and it's like there's an engagement with like a bunch of people there and it's you and your material and you know the energy in the room has been has been curated and like shared by other acts on that night mm-hmm. you know and those are the people who you're talking to after the gig yeah and those are the people that you're going to share your experience with in what is otherwise like you know a, a quite individual like solo experience yeah and i think that that community is like therefore all the more important it's like everyone's everyone's in that boat mm. yeah it's a unifying factor yeah um yeah i think there's a lot of mutual respect mm. Although, you know, I do see, I do see stuff about, and it's, it's not something that I've necessarily come across, but like, man, social media, like in terms of like the exposure and, you know, the the good stuff that you can find on there and the, and the solid advice and the kind stuff. But I have seen stuff about like stealing jokes and, you know, people like cutting other people up and, you know, taking the inside lane over them. Um, That's not necessarily something that I've experienced, but maybe I'm just naive. Um, But I've, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of that, but it's not, it's, it definitely hasn't been my experience. Mm. We talked briefly about your solo debut last year at Edinburgh. No show at Edinburgh this year. Correct. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> you heard right. Uh, no, I'm not doing, I kind of, um, I was talking to Country Mile about it and um, they've been, they've been super supportive and it kind of got to, um, it got to January this year. And I think, and they put it really well. I mean, the the financial constraints of the fringe with rents and with mm. venue hire and you know, the kind of the nature of that instability mm. uh and the fucking contingency and the sheer force of luck when you're up there, you know. Um, you know, one one piece of advice I got was like, Sue the fringe, you've got to really need to do that show. You've got to really need to do it. Mm. And last year I did need to do that show. And it was something, and it was something that scared me, and it was something that I really wanted to share with an audience, and I wanted to do right. Mm. I did a couple of nights at Soho with the show last year, and that felt great. And I was like, if I do another show at the Fringe, there's a kind of qualitative or like artistic element to it. It's like mm. I want it to be as good as, but also better than that show. Mm. I wanted to do something different um and i i've thought this for a long time in terms of writing like the commitment that audiences show to go to the fringe granted like the the necessary expenditure of it makes it quite a different demographic now because mm. it's not a fringe festival like it's not necessarily a place for experimentation people come up with the finished product and because of i guess because of that like financial dynamic got to make it worth as you said earlier, like people paying 17 quid, mm. it's like, you know, for a show, like I want to make it worth that money mm. for them. Um, and that also fosters a different dynamic because like an audience who've paid like 10 quid for a mixed bill, which includes like massive acts, it's like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to take that. You're going to take that risk mm. and it's right around the corner, but you've got on a train, not like a five hour train and you're paying through the nose. We're like sleeping on a floor and you know you're like you, you're shelling out for shows mm. if i'm going to do a paid show the quality of it has to be really good and it has to be you know if the fringe model is going to be in operation or that's the model that's going to continue to operate mm. i wanted the caliber of the show to be really high and i kind of looked at it 
from that point of view. And I was like, I don't know that I'm going to make a show a that I need to do B that exceeds and is different kind of artistically different than last year mm. and C it's like worth people shelling out for. Um, because that is always going to be in the back of like an audience's mind. It's like 12 quid, 17 quid for a show. It's like, mm. make it worth it. And I didn't know that I could. Mm. And, and actually taking that, taking that impetus out of it has meant that like the stuff I've had more freedom to write the stuff that I've been writing. Um, also like I've been focusing on other projects as well. So I had a, I had a film that came out earlier this year, which took like, you know, a lot of focus. Mm. Um, and I've been doing a couple of writers rooms as well. And so kind of balancing, balancing that alongside with building to an Edinburgh show, um, as well as like the, the other life stuff of like yeah. moving house, moving to a new place. Um, I wanted I wanted the show that I did to not necessarily be a reflection of that contracted time, mm. which isn't to say that like it necessarily would have been bad. Yeah, might have been great. I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, if I'm if I'm gonna do it again, and also for the financial outlay that every artist has to put in now, um, I would want that show to hit a standard that I'd be comfortable with sharing with people, and also need to share with people. Mm. So my last two questions then. Number one, how can we find out about you and where you're playing? You can find out about me on Twitter at Alex G McKeith. And you can find about find out about me on Instagram at Alex McKeith. That's where I put most of my gigs. The next one is a kind of work in progress of basically all new stuff. So letting letting the past die that's going to have some of the stuff that we spoke about earlier, like, you know, the articulation of things that like you do think in the back of your head, but are not socially acceptable. Um, so not all of them, but the one that I'm thinking about in particular is a kind of half, it's half finished at the moment, but I think, you know, that thing of like when people become parents and there's, there's like this kind of like suffusion of their entire being of self-importance, and it's like mm -hmm. suddenly like they're wiser than ever they are um like they understand your life better than ever when all they've actually done is like reproduce mm. so um i mean it, it won't it won't be funny here but the the chorus i think is you might be pushing a pram but get the fuck out of the way and i don't <laughs> you know like i'm not going to say that and i don't i think that's where the persona thing comes in so like the musical comedy persona like I think it is possible once you once you kind of package it in a song and you have that context that like kind of performing context it it does give you license to say it i mean it might bomb it might completely eat shit <laughs> it might be like a bunch of new parents in the room being like how dare you do you have any idea how tired we are <laughs> um, but yeah in general it's twitter and it's instagram and i'm putting out um videos from that soho theater show um at the moment mm. spending a lot of time putting subtitles on that <laughs> Fucking hell. that's a job um but yeah twitter and instagram don't do facebook <laughs> and so the last question i always ask alex can you sum up comedy in a nutshell yes i think <laughs> uh for me at the moment i think the simplest version of it is make them laugh mm. but i think probably given what we've spoken about and like the importance of community it's um share the space make them laugh 
leave. <laughs> I think that's that's it at the moment. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Cheers, mate. It's been awesome.